following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. And I also like something I never noticed before, and that's the big clock in the back. So I feel right at home, and I appreciate that. Um, but I also want to tell you, I know that we are many and many different tribes and nations here. So if the Lord's moving in your heart and you feel like saying amen, say amen. amen. Great. And for those of you who uh, are stuck and you can't do that, if there is a good point where I feel like we really need to say amen, I'll give you a cue and I'll go like that. Okay? I don't want you to miss out on what God is uh, doing. If you uh, don't mind, let's stand as we read our scripture. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 7 and staying in these uh, first 11 verses. I I have to admit, I was coming with my iPad today. I I moved over to that for several reasons, and one of those is that my arms are not long enough anymore, and glasses just don't fit my head right. But as we were walking out, my wife said, "Uh, you can't preach from an iPad. I don't know why, but I I listened to her, so I have my Bible again, and the words even look smaller than before. So bear with me as I stand here and read these scriptures. But let's give honor to the Lord in this. When Jesus had finished saying all this, the hearing of the people, he entered to Capernaum. There's a centurion's servant who his master valued very highly. He was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and to heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you to do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. And he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you to come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent, returned to the house and found the servant well. These are the words of God for God's people and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you look at these first 11 verses, there are so many things that are going on here. Pastor Tim asked me if I would preach and I said, sure. And then when he gave me these scriptures, I was like, Oh, I didn't know he meant for a month. So by the clock, I have to clam a month into just, what is it, two hours, Nate, you said? Okay. 
Well, let's look at some of the characters in this scripture. First of all, there's this centurion. And as I was reading through this, I thought, okay, you know, we all hear about centurions. We may have even seen movies about centurions. But I said, what is this centurion guy really all about? Who is this guy? So I started doing some historical checking and you know, it's real easy to say centurion. He's put over a hundred people. That was pretty easy. But as I looked into it, there was really a lot of historical factors in becoming a centurion. First thing, they usually served between 15 and 20 years before they were even promoted to the rank of centurion. As they were promoted, it was only because they did major accomplishments, mostly victories and battles for the Roman Empire. They were tough guys. And as I started looking at their equipment, one thing that really stood out to me was all of the centurions, first of all, they did have this big hat that sort of made them stick out for the whole crowd. So when they were in battle, their hundred men that were under them could always see where their leader was. And where do you think the centurion usually was? That's right, up front in the battle. But the thing that I thought was really interesting was, as you looked at their uniform, on the breastplate, they had nine badges or nine tokens And they were normally made out of metal coins. And each one of those tokens were specific to the accomplishments that they did to earn their rank. And I started really getting into looking at these coins because some of the pictures were just really unbelievable. They had one picture for the soldier that could behead people. So on his coin was a hand with a head. Then they had other victories, they had other accomplishments, and these things would just drape by three coins each in three rows. And it would say, these are the great things that I have accomplished. And in some of the historical documents, it would say that they would walk out on the battlefield and some people would see that and say, no, we're not going to go up against this guy because look at the things he has accomplished. So as we look at these centurions, and especially this centurion, we know that he is a tough dude. Then the next thing that we see really starts right off is this servant. And uh, we moved here from Greece, so a lot of times it's fun to go back and look at the Greek words. And if you look at the Greek in here, the word that is used for servant is dulios. And it really doesn't mean servant. What it means is slave. And it's the term for slave that is the lowest, the lowest kind of slave you could be. It was the one that where you could just put the slave out of misery when they got sick and said, I don't have to worry about you, boom. And just not worry about any repercussions. 
It was the ones that had the lowest jobs usually for their masters. It was the ones that really were the cheap ones that you could go out and buy very cheaply and you would just go, you know, I'm into fish. And sometimes when the fish tank's getting regulated, I don't go buy the cichlids or the Oscars. I go buy the little feeder fish. And let's get 10 of those for 10 bot and throw them in there. And, you know, whatever survives, survives. That's what these slaves, that's what the term for this man was, this slave with no freedom. The other people that we see here are the Jewish leaders. I mean, these men were a group of people that would normally have nothing to do with the Romans, let alone go speak to the Romans, especially a centurion. But as we look at the history for this time, it's sort of like when I was looking at it, it was like, wow, Hitler and the Nazis had nothing on the way the Romans and the Jews were relating at this time. That's how much they despised each other. So as they're coming in and this centurion is looking at these Roman leaders, and these Roman leaders go to Jesus, that alone is a miracle. But not only do they go, our scripture tells us they are pleading for this Roman. They are pleading his case. And they even go as far to give us some insight to say, this man loves us so much that he did what? He was rebuilding their synagogue, their place of worship. And again, for a Roman at this time, that was unheard of. I mean, look at it. This, these guys, you know, they have a different God and it's not the gods that we're worshiping. They, they are the, the thorn in our flesh. Every time we turn around, we're having to take care of the Jewish people and what they think are their rights. And 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 some points, they just wiped out the Jewish population so they didn't have to deal with them in smaller villages. But yet this guy goes to them. So I think as we look at this Roman centurion, if you look at him from a point of history, he's already a special guy. <clears throat> I mean, think about it. He's a man of honor. I mean, he has all of his, his badges, and, and it doesn't say in the Scripture what his badges were, but, I mean, we know he was a great soldier, We know that he's already broken the mold and has separated himself from just going out and killing his slaves. He's a man of compassion. But he has all these things that would say in our world that put him high up in society. But instead, he comes out 
and he has compassion. All the honor that was due to him, and he sets it aside for this servant or this slave. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that there's many times that we assign things to ourselves as great accomplishments. So as I was reading this passage, here's what spoke to me. Ed, what do your badges look like? I ask you guys today, what badges do we ascribe to ourselves? I mean, some of you guys may have the badge that says, I have the 10-year pin. And I just offended some of you because you said, no, mine's 20 years. No, I have the 30-year pin. I've been out here for 25 years. I have the pin that says, I was a corporate leader. I was a CEO. I owned my own business. I had a great job. I made lots of money. And that's my pin. I left it behind to come here and suffer. Some of you guys have taken the pen to say, I left all my loved ones at home. We are suffering. Our children are back in college. I have aging parents. Some of you uh, were getting ready to celebrate some holidays coming up, and you have the pen that says, I never went back home during this holiday. I suffered. I've cried as I've used my Skype or my Vonage or my Viber or my FaceTime or whatever. And I called back in. And, and I'll never forget the first year on the field. It was Christmas. And we're in Hungary. And my wife was so excited. We waited our seven hours. It was only a seven hours difference. And we called back to her family. It was her first Christmas away. And we were calling to, to say, Merry Christmas. But really, we were calling to say, we miss you, and how's the holidays, and what's going on? And, and what happened was, even from her mother and father, she got, I love you, but here, talk to Michael, we're all doing this. Oh, I love you, but here, talk to Dee Dee, we're doing this. And the phone got passed around, they hung up the phone, and my wife was sitting there, and she said, they don't even miss us. And we take that badge, and we say, I've made it for... 15 holidays and, ah, I've done it. Some of us say, you know what, I've got the badge because I don't live in World Club. And and (laughs) my kids don't go to Grace or CMIS. I homeschool or we national school or we do whatever it is and we are, oh, I got the badge because... I suffer through this, and I've made it. I think I could take my whole time here just coming up with the badges that many of us have assigned to ourselves. I think it's also clear that many of us have let go of stuff. But why? Why? You know, as I look at it and as I was going through the badges and thinking about all of those things, 
what happened was it, it caused me, after about 30 minutes of just thinking of things, it caused me to look over at Philippians chapter 3. And it caused me to remember about Paul and what Paul says. And I, I'm just going to start in verse 3. It says, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. And then he goes on, he says, I myself have much Reason to brag. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church for its legalistic righteousness. And Paul says what? He says, I cast all of this aside for Christ. So here comes our centurion. And in verse 6 and in verse 7, he says, he sends his people and he says, Lord, do not trouble yourself, For I do not deserve to have you even come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the words, say the words, and my servant shall be healed. This centurion takes his badges, he takes those tokens, and he throws them down. He takes his status, and he throws it down, and he humbly comes before the Lord, and he says, I am not worthy to even come in your presence. But only say the words, and my servant shall be healed. And we hear something that we've only ever heard one time in the Word of God. And that is, Jesus says, I am amazed. And the only other time he says this is in Mark 6, 6. When he says, I'm utterly amazed at my neighbor's unbelief. In Nazareth. So here he is saying this Roman centurion has amazed me with his faith. And not only that, he is not even a man of Israel. He is not even in the chosen people. And yet he is amazing me with his faith. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time that you put aside all of your badges? When was the last time that you really amazed God? I was asked to share a little bit about myself and... um, so you can get to know me. 
Um, so I want to just share a little bit about who I am. First of all, I want to thank you for letting me have the privilege to work with a lot of your kids from 9th through 12th grade. In fact, we just got back from a camp out yesterday with 60 of them and some great youth workers out here that have been helping us uh, do that. And that has been a joy and a privilege. I grew up in, I was born in South Philly. And at the age of two, my mother and my aunt started opening up restaurants in Atlantic City, New Jersey. We went there. That's where I grew up, a large Italian family. And many of you are saying, but your last name is McEwen. My mom is a DiCarlo. She was born three months after her family got here from Italy. And we have DiCarlo, Bruno, Scarfo, and McEwen. <laughs> I used to, growing up, I'd say, Mom, why couldn't the McEwen be like the name that we don't ever hear of, like the other three? It's like, you know, that's not the way it works. I grew up raised in a traditional Italian home, which means by tradition we went to the Catholic church. And I went to Catholic school and I did CCD. And believe it or not, I was an altar boy. And I did all these things that, you know, definitely were not with a relationship with Christ. On Sunday mornings, my mom thought it was very important that we went to church. But because we had eight masses, we could pick whichever one we went to. Mine was always the one that my mom was not going to. Because what I could do is I could walk in, grab my bulletin that they only pass out at the beginning, go right through the church, go out the back door with the people that were just leaving that mass, play in the playground with my friends, saw the other people coming out, walk around the block, go home and say, here, Mom, I went to church. Well, what was it about? I don't know. It was all in Italian. You know, just throw it down. You know, I was there. That was church. I had the privilege of being asked to go play football in North Carolina. And I went to North Carolina my junior year, and I went to Rutherfordton, North Carolina, It's a place that about four years ago I took my kids to. We were back on a stateside assignment. And when we went to the place, my kids looked at me, my two oldest boys, and they said, Dad, there is no way you ever lived here. I mean, it is so far out the Episcopals handle snakes. I mean, it is out there. We are out in, you know, Chimley Rock, Lake Lore, Like the closest neighbor was away. My hardest move in my whole life was from New Jersey to North Carolina. I had to learn that barbecue didn't mean chicken and steak. And if, you know, you weren't upscale, then it meant hamburgers and hot dogs. It meant taking a pig and throwing it on a grill. And then going and picking off of that pig. That was barbecue. I remember a family invited me over. They said, come for dinner. I said, all right, I'll be there. They never told me a time, so I thought, you know, I know these Southerners eat a little early. So I showed up at 5 o'clock. The guy opened the door. He said, boy, where have you been? I said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm late. He goes, well, we didn't invite you for supper. We invited you for dinner. So he was talking about lunch. So there was a whole different language. I had to learn this whole new language and then food. I don't have time to tell you right now, but I can just tell you this. I lived on the beach. I moved to the mountains. They had this place called the Hickory Log. We would go there, and the reason we would go there is not because I wanted the barbecue, but they had shrimp, and they had clam strips. 
frozen as could be, and this bag, ice all over him, they drop him, and that was the closest thing I could get to home. This one guy who had befriended me, he was eating this stuff called okra, and it was fried and it was brown, and I looked at him and I said, wow, is that a scallop? He said, just like it. (laughs) So to this day, I love my okra with a side of cocktail sauce. That was a fun experience six months later trying to explain to my mom, okra is not a vegetable, it's a seafood. (laughs) What happened was I got to this place, I started playing football, I was wild, and uh, there was this one guy that was on the team that never really did anything with the group that I was hanging around with, the group that was doing all the partying and running all over the place and doing all those things that you're not supposed to be doing in the 11th grade. And what happened was this guy was excellent in sports. And on this team, we were both selected as all county. We were sent away for a week, and this guy was my roommate. And I used to think he was funny. Because he never hung out with anybody except for like these other three guys. And I was like, what has gone on with this guy? And now he's my roommate. And the only thing he's talking about is this youth group thing that I'd never heard of before. And he's telling me about talking about Jesus and all this. And I was like, whoa. But as the week went on, this guy worked on me, befriended me. And he's in 11th grade also. Two weeks after we're back, he's calling me. Come on, you have to come. You have to come. Like, I'm not gone. And then he said, but don't you remember that girl that you wanted to meet? She comes to youth group. I said, I'll be there. (laughs) I go to this youth meeting. And I walk in and I'm like, I've got my coat on. It has my football Badge And, you know, this is my first year there. I have my wrestling badge. And I'm like, oh, here I am. You know, at that time I was like 180, not close to 280. And I'm I'm walking through and I, I go and it's like, here, you sit in this couch right up here in the front. And there's like all these people all over. I'm like, oh, they reserved the front seat for me. And as the youth minister is sharing, I felt like she was talking directly to me. And she shared about God and his love and how much he loved us to give us his son. And that is the first time I ever heard that we needed to have a personal relationship, that God wanted that and desired that. And you know, it's funny now that as I'm telling this testimony and as I'm reading this, the lady said, all you got to do is cast aside this stuff and just admit that you're a sinner, believe that God sent His Son for you, and just confess it, and that's it. And bam! My life changed right there. My life Changed As God came in my life, I had no desires to do all these other things. The funny thing was, this guy, 
He comes to me, says, Ed, I know that you're not here with your family. You came from New Jersey. You're playing. It's like, my mom has said that you can start coming to our house every Wednesday before youth. You can eat dinner with us, and then we'll go to the youth. And here's this 11th grader telling me, come to my house because I'm going to disciple you in the word of God. And that's what he did. And then we would go to youth group. And what I watched was these people that I thought were my best friends, they disappeared. And it wasn't because I made them disappear. It was because they saw God all over me and that I wasn't going to do those old things. And they weren't willing to accept that. And they disappeared. A couple more months later, I go to my friend Doug and I said, Doug, what made you witness to me? And he said, well, here's the deal. This summer, at the end of the summer, our youth leader was challenging us, and they said, we become so complacent in our everyday walk. We become so complacent in just the people that we see. I want you to pray about one person that you meet when you go to school that you would look at and say, there's no way this guy would ever become a Christian. (laughs) That was me. And Doug said he walked in. Now remember, this is in the early, early 80s. In 82, he walked in, and here I am in white shoes, every different color kind of pants called jams, and a muscle t-shirt, and I'm standing there, and everyone else is in overalls. And he said, yeah, this guy is never going to make it. (laughs) I was that guy. Years went on, studying. I got recruited to Duke for wrestling, recruited the state. I, oh, this is where I'm going to go. I pick out Duke. I'm going up there. And I go to visit Doug, who's at Campbell University. And I walk in. The wrestling coach meets me. And he goes, oh, I saw you. And I really wanted you to come here. Where'd you go? I was like, Duke. And it's not, you know. And he's like, come here and you can, you can major in religion. Your friend told me that's what you want to do. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm a sports med. You can do them both. And I was like, yeah, but what kind of job will you have? Oh, man, don't you like working with teenagers? Oh, all the time. And next thing I know, I'm calling my mom. I'm like, Mom, I'm going to Campbell University. What do they do? Make soup? I was like, no, it's a real school. And Duke is really just a northern school on southern territory because everyone in the north knows that, you know, Duke is, you know, what it was. Campbell? They all had that same reaction. Campbell what? It's a university? You know, is there a factory near it where they're spinning out little can't? No, it's a school. And I met my wife, and we've been married 25 years and I had the privilege before we came overseas to do 16 years of youth ministry and We ended up in Hungary, and then we moved from there to Prague, and from Prague to Greece, and from Greece to here. And so it's been a a blessing for the Lord to put me on this journey. But I have to confess, there have been many days on this journey where it's all about the badges. There have been many days on this journey 
where it's like, oh, I'm so busy and I got this and, and there's so much of this going on. I'm doing this and oh yeah. And guess what? Now I'm doing the youth ministry thing at CCF and oh yeah. And then we've got member care going on over here and it becomes about the badges that I forget that that's not why I let go of everything over there and came over here. I'll never forget. It was in 1991. It was our third trip into Romania. We were out building this church. And we were out there building this church, and you had to drive down a creek bed for about 30 minutes, pop out, and there was a village. And we were starting to help them build a church. And one of the things we had to do is we had to go out in the country, and we sent like 12 men out there, and we had to shovel sand out of the beginning of the creek bed because the, the sand was really fine and that's what we were going to use for the cement. The problem was we got all the way out there and none of us thought to bring water. So we're out there for about two hours. The truck would leave. It would take about 30 minutes for him to come back. We would start loading again. You couldn't even get ready for the truck and like put it in things to just put there. So after about two hours, we're all sitting there dying of thirst and we say, okay, let's go for a walk. We're gonna, the, the guy there, he says, it's, it's just right up here over the hill, and there's a spring, and we can go get some fresh water. Well, in Europe, right over the hill means it's only a 45-minute walk. And so we're walking, and we're like, oh, take your stuff. And, you know, back in the early 90s when you went overseas, what did you wear? A fanny pack. I made it look good. I had that thing on, and mine was about as big as my fanny. It was like way out there. You'd have everything in there, your passport, your camera, and candy, and all these things. And we're going, and we're walking 45 minutes, and we're getting ready. The lady's like, there's the spring right there. And we can see it, and the mountain's coming down. And, you know, we're not in Asia. We're in Romania. But coming over the hill is this older gentleman, and he has the Asian-style hat on. And, you know, I'm still the youth and missions pastor, so I'm still having fun. I say, look, it's Filuk. He's coming over the hill. And that's from, you know, those of you that are older from Kung Fu. And I'm sitting there, here he comes. You know, start doing the translation and all that stuff. And he's coming down, and he's got this thing. And we meet at the fountain at the same time. And this old man, he has this big stick, he has his hat, he pushes it back, and he's like, he's he's telling us, you know, what what are you doing? Who are you? And we're getting water, and, and I'm telling the guys, watch this, we're about to blow this guy's mind. Like, we're Americans. He goes, oh, I'm like, and we're here. We're helping to do some work. And he's like, wow, I've never seen an American. So I'm like, oh, yeah, well, watch this. And I open up my fanny pack. And I say, here's some candy. That's what we all do. We give out candy. And it's like, here's some candy. And he he grabs the candy. And he looks at it like it's gold. Well, then, you know, like everyone else, they start opening their fanny pack. Well, here I have Tootsie Rolls and, and I have this. And, I, and he's holding this and he's like, 
My family would never believe that I met Americans out here at the well. My family now are going to see this candy will be like gold. And, and even tears are starting to well up in his eyes. He's like, this is a meeting I couldn't believe. And I look over and I say, guys, now we're really going to blow his mind. We're going to ask them if we can pray for him. So I look at him and I say, guess what? We're men of faith. And if you don't mind, we would like to pray for you. And about that time, he looked at this candy and he threw it to the ground. He whipped off his hat and he threw his stick down. And I just looked at him. I was like, oh, no. And he dropped to his knees and he began to pray for us. And his prayer went something like this. God, I've been praying for 50 years for people of faith to come to my village. God, right now, I declare this place as holy ground. For you have answered my prayers and I am in your presence. That shattered me. Because I was there with my badges. I was there with my badge of being a foreigner. I was there with my badge of, here's something sweet. I was there with my badge of, here's my faith, let me show you something. And this man taught me a lesson. Wherever we are as believers, we can declare it. That's holy ground. I want to ask you a question. Have you thrown your badges aside lately and said, Lord, this is the ministry that you have called me to. I declare it holy ground. Lord, I pray that you will put angels around and protect this area that we're going in. This area that people say nothing can happen here. This area that people say it's over evangelized even though you see lostness. It's where you look all around and you become numb to the sex trade that's coming on and you forget that it's even there and you don't pray about it even. It's to where we get so wrapped up in what our kids are doing and all these things that that's what drives our lives. It's to where we get so wrapped up in what's going back in our home country that that is what runs our life. And as I see this centurion, he goes like this. He says, I don't need all of this stuff. I heard about you, Jesus. And just hearing about you, I have faith. And I believe that all you have to do is say the words. And my slave, who is worth nothing. That's not what he said. My servant shall be healed. Whom I have compassion for. Have you thrown away all these things? Have you come before him and have you said, Lord, my ministry needs that fresh breath? I am amazed 
that God would even want someone as unworthy as me to come before his throne and to call him Father. And for him to reciprocate and call me his son. I am amazed that he could take someone as broken as I am and bring me to wholeness. But how do I amaze God? Do I even strive to do that? I believe that in our faith, as we live our faith, and as we walk as His children, when we truly walk as His children, He is amazed and He is pleased by us. Do we always get it right? Probably not. Last part of my testimony. When I decided to go to Campbell University and even started talking about religion, um, the bad thing about my family is that they're actually part of a family business. And my grandfather is actually pretty high up in that business. And he started the second largest taxi corporation in the United States called Diamond Cab out of Washington, D.C. And so he was the head of our family. And when I made this decision and I went back at one of the breaks, um, it was right before I was going to go to Campbell. My grandfather gets me and says, we're gone for a ride. And he throws me in his car, and we're gone. My family and all of them are there. And he says, I've had enough of this. I've been tolerating this for the last three years of you saying that you are a Baptist. He says, you are Italian, you are Catholic, and you don't leave our faith. And I said, Grandpa, I said, you know, this is what is true in my life. And I started trying to witness him to him a little bit, and he just stopped. And my grandfather pulls over, and he says, this is your last chance. If you don't stop this, you're out of the family. And I just looked at him, and I said, Grandpa, I said, this is real for me. He opened up his door, and he let me out in the middle of Washington, D.C., and he drove away. This was before cell phones, so I get to a pay phone. Kids, I'll explain that next week. And <laughs> I, I put some money in, I dial, and I call my mom at my grandfather's house, and I, sit, I tell her what happens. I'm like, don't worry, she's all upset. I had the privilege a year after I became a Christian of leading my mom to Christ. And I said, don't be upset, I'm taking a bus, it's three hours, meet me at home. So for three years, my grandfather had nothing to do with me. And my aunts and my uncle, they just really stopped talking to me, and we did all this stuff. And uh, I remember I started dating Susan, and this is the first time I'm bringing Susan. <laughs> Never crossed the line. I'm bringing her from North Carolina to New Jersey. And we're going. And if you've ever been in South Jersey, it's really nice once you turn off the New Jersey Turnpike. And for South Jersey, you go through Cowtown and all this. And Susan's one of those people, I don't even know how she got a driver's license. Because when we're in the car, when we back out of the driveway, she's like... <laughs> and it's like radar. We are about to get to where we're at. And she wakes up and she goes, oh, we're there? And I'm like, how do you do that? 
So, I, you know, I'm always watching her when she drives. I hope she doesn't fall asleep because every time I see her in her car, she falls asleep. And she wakes up. She goes, where are we? Did we get lost? I said, no, we're in New Jersey. I said, this is why we're called the Garden State. We're in the middle of all these fields. But we get to our house, and my mom says, oh, I'm glad you're here. We're going out. I'm going to buy you a suit and Susan a dress. And I was like, what's that all about? She's like, we're going to D.C. tomorrow. We're going to Aunt Emily and Uncle Joe's 65th wedding anniversary. And we're going to have an Italian wedding feast. And that just means eating, eating, the chicken dance, na 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 you know, all that stuff. I don't want to give you a visual. <laughs> don't want to give you the visual there. So we're there, and my wife, we're seated at table number one, because it's my grandfather. And the party's all about table number two, my aunt and my uncle. But we're seated at table number one, Susan sitting right across from my grandfather. And the whole time, my aunts, my uncles, they haven't seen me. They weren't with me. And they're like, I'm here because my Aunt Emily was very close to me. And that was her wish from my grandfather was that I would be at the party. So I'm sitting there, and they're all pinching my cheeks, and they're doing all this stuff, and we're dancing, and we're doing all this stuff. And, you know, we come back, and it's like, hey, we're going to Aunt Emily's house. It's only for the first four tables, because there were 300 people there. 250 of them were related to us. (laughs) But they're like, only the first four people are going back to Aunt Emily's. We're going back. We've got, you know, fresh prosciutto, cabocola, you know, all these good things. Susan looks and says, we just ate for 12 hours, and now we're going to eat? And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, this is where you're going to really get it. And we're getting up, and my grandfather looks at me, and he says, As long as she's the end of your life, you're back in the family. I'm like, this shy, northern, I mean, southern girl, like when they walked in, my uncle said, Wow, where have you been, prison? I mean, she has blonde hair, and everyone there was dark skin, black hair. You knew, I never lost Susan in the crowd. And he's saying this. And I'm going to speed this story up to say that a year later, Susan and I get married. My grandfather, my father passed away when I was four. My grandfather was my best man in my wedding. He told me, he said, whatever you do, just don't ever witness to me. I see in your life that what you're doing is really what you believe. Just don't witness to me. We have Joshua, married four years, and we have our first son, Joshua. And we're, you know, when you go to New Jersey, you pass Washington. So we're like, okay, we're going to stop and see Grandpa. And we see them. And he's telling us, oh, I don't feel that well. We're going up. And then while we're there, he gets sick. And it's right around Thanksgiving. So coming back, he's in the hospital. I stop at the hospital, and I go in to see my grandfather. Susan stays out. Josh wasn't feeling too good. She's nursing him, and we're like, okay, we're going to go upstairs. I'm going to go see Grandpa. I'm talking to him, and and I'm getting ready to leave, and, and this feeling comes over to me. Share the gospel with them, Ed. So I pull out this track, Four Spiritual Laws, and I'm like, Grandpa, I want to share this. He says, what did I tell you? I want to have nothing to do with that. I said, okay. I, I put the track on his desk. 
the last words my grandfather said to me was, tell grandmom to make me a ricotta pie. I'll be home in a couple days. I said, okay, I leave. We drive back seven hours, North Carolina, and I get a phone call. Hey, last night during the night, grandpa passed away. Turn around, I drive back to Washington. We get there, and my uncle says, Ed, which the other whole story is, you know, they call me Father Ed. <laughs> my uncle introduced me sometimes. He's the smart one. He be, became a priest and was able to get married. Oh, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, whatever works for you, okay. And they're like, you're going to go talk to the priest, but we want you to do a eulogy. And I said, no way. And so I'm sitting here, and I'm talking to my mom. I'm so upset. I'm saying, Mom, he's lost. How, what am I supposed to do? And, and I'm trying to think of this. And, you know, again, we're Italian, so we have the big wake, the big, you know, meal before. And we're sitting there, and this lady comes into the house. And I know she's no family member, so I said, I, you know, I'm going to go over, and I'm going to talk to this lady. I go over to her and I say, hello, can I help you? She said, is this Edmund de Carlo's residence? I said, yes, it is. She said, well, I'm here. I'm looking for his grandson. I said, I'm one of them. She goes, I'm looking for the one from North Carolina. So I changed my northern accent back to my southern one. I said, well, how y'all doing? I'm, I'm him. I'm that one. And she says, no, I'm looking for the one that is a preacher. That's me. You found me. She goes, well, I was your grandfather's nurse on the last night. And I said, oh, well, that's awesome. And she said, I went into your grandfather's room, and I was taking care of him that night. And he was eating. He was down. And she said, I'm a believer. I said, great. Praise the Lord. She said, and I looked down and I saw this track laying on his table. And she said, I picked up the track and I went to him and I said, Edmund, I want to read this to you. He said, I want nothing to do with that. So she said, I took the track. I was walking out. She said, right before the elevator doors closed, she said, it was like someone grabbed me and said, you go back and you share that track with that man. She said, I literally put my hand in the door and it stopped the elevator doors from closing. I walked out. I went back to the room. My grandfather's nickname was Cocky. And, and he used to say, it's not because I stink. So I was like, okay, whatever. She goes back in and she says, Cocky, move over. You're going to hear this. And sits on the edge of the bed with him and proceeds to share the gospel with my grandfather. Then the next thing she said is what blew me away. She said, at the end of this, your grandfather prayed to receive Christ. And then he looked at me and he said, I need you to find my grandson from North Carolina who is a pastor and tell him that I believe. That lady never had to find me. She sought me out and she shared that good news. 
many of you out here have people just like that. When you throw away those badges and you're just there all about the gospel, there may be many people that surprise you where they said, you didn't know this, but you affected my life. I believe when we live as his children, when we really draw on what he has called us to do and who he has called us to be, not only will we be amazed, but he will too. I know we're getting ready to go to the Lord's Supper. And as we have a time to prayer, you know, we always ask our kids, they're older now, we don't have to do this. We always say, you know, you're coming to the table, go clean up. Go wash your hands. Make sure you're ready. Come down. We want you to be clean. So we take a few moments to pray before Pastor Nate comes up and shares about Lord's Supper. Are there things that you want to let go and give to God right now? So you can say, Lord, I want to give this to you. I want to clean up before I come to your table. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Oh, we thank you for how much you love us, for those people that you have put into our life that have taught us, discipled us, and have amazed us. Father, we pray right now you would help us to look at the badges that we try to put on ourselves and to hang up and that you would help us to not focus on them as much as we would focus on you and who you are in our lives. We praise you, Lord, for loving us and for allowing us to only say the words and we shall be healed. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.